One of the things we Christians are always in danger of is committing what C.S. Lewis called verbicide. That is killing words, <laughs> killing the meanings of words. And it's not just words, but it can be concepts, biblical truths that over time, uh, they kind of take a life, take on a life of their own. We, we use them imprecisely. Uh, you know, you've done this. You've certainly seen other Christians do this where you take a verse that the, uh, the combination of those words say what we want them to say, and we sort of disregard the context and, and use this, uh, this statement to, to build hope and, and uh, take it as a promise kind of thing, right? Well, that can get us into some, some danger. And today, I may just ruin one of your favorite Bible verses uh, and, and possibly even one of your favorite concepts. So, <laughs> glad you're with us this morning uh, as we continue to study in the uh, the book of Philippians. Uh, good morning, Keith. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning, Jenny. Glad you all are with us. Those of you who are on Twitter, sorry, I can't see your comments, but I can see people signing in from Facebook or uh, or YouTube. I can't actually see you signing in, but I can see your comments. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Doug, and we gather here every morning, uh, 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time, and we study the Word of God uh, because I want you to know the Word, and I want you to know how to study it. We all need to continue to renew our minds with God's Word. So it's a great way to do it here uh, each morning. So thanks for joining us. Uh, we need to get our mindset right. We always need to get our mindset right. This is a good day. It's Tuesday, and it's a good day because this is the day the Lord has made, and you say your part. We will rejoice and be glad in it. If you happen to have brought your coffee, as you should, then let's taste and see together that the Lord is good. Ah, yes, he is good. Good morning, Carol. Glad you are with us as well. All right, so we're continuing on in Philippians. We looked at the first couple of verses yesterday, and if you recall, we kind of got the background of how this church started and uh, what was going on in Philippi at the time, a little bit of the historical background. So we're going to continue uh, in, in the uh, first chapter here in verse 3, and Paul says this, I think my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now, right off the bat, we come across uh, a little bit of a, um, an ambiguity. This verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. The Greek there is ambiguous. He could be saying, I thank my God in all your remembrance of me or all of your mention of me. In some ways, it doesn't really matter. They're probably both true, uh, but it's one of these oddities of the Greek language and of translation. The translators had to pick one, and uh, the NAS chose this one. I think some of the translations may go the other way. I tend to lean toward the side that says that he's thanking God for their remembering him, because that seems to be what fuels so much of what he's uh, joyful about through this letter. They remember him. So verse 2. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Why? Verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, this word participation, see it here, is the word that is normally translated or often translated 
fellowship. It's the word koinonia. You're probably familiar with that word koinonia. It has become in the last few decades even, uh, uh, it's transliterated. We bring it right over into English and people talk about koinonia. I've heard of churches called koinonia or ministries called uh, koinonia house, for instance, that kind of thing. And we typically think of it as fellowship. Now, fellowship often is re- is regarded as getting together to just enjoy things together, right? I grew up in a very small church in uh, in a suburb of St. Louis. A small church, I don't think, even if it, in its strongest point in its heyday, it was ever, you know, over 100 people. And most of my growing up years, it was 40, 50 people. And I was related to about half of them, I think, uh, maybe 60 people. But we did everything together. You know, this was my family, extended family. This was, this was my community. Uh, we had services Sunday morning, Sunday night, and uh, Wednesday night. And you, you didn't miss those services. At least I didn't. <laughs> my dad was an elder. And we were there every time the doors were open. Uh, but in, in addition to those services, we had many, many meals together. There was always the, uh, the Baptist-like potluck on the first Sunday of uh, each month. And I remember all those years after years, week after week, celebrating or enjoying those together. Uh, we would be in people's homes regularly. We didn't call them small groups, and it's, uh, it wasn't quite as structured as, as most small groups today. We didn't go through a long formal study or anything like that, but it was just regular that we would be in each other's homes, and after church, you'd invite somebody over or two or three families, or we'd gather for this, and we celebrated birthdays together. We even went on vacations together. I can remember many, many summers that uh, whole groups of us of 10, 12 families would get big lots at a, um, or campground areas at a, uh, a lake. Uh, it seemed like they all, all the men especially loved fishing. And uh, so we would spend many vacation weeks in the summer going on these vacations together and fishing trips. And we looked forward to it. It was, it was great. And we knew so much about what was happening in, in each other's families. But what I'm describing there, does that have to be Christian to enjoy that? I don't think so. I think we all probably know, and maybe we've experienced this ourselves, enjoying that kind of, quote, fellowship, even with unbelievers. It's not a, just a shared experience or a shared community that makes Christian fellowship. Paul has something else in mind here. It's, it's more than, than having food together. We, we tend to associate fellowship with food or going to the coffee shop. And if we enjoy that time, if we gather around to watch the Super Bowl or some other sporting event, we, we call that Christian fellowship. But that's not really what Paul is talking about here when he says that I give thanks and joy because of fellowship or participation in the gospel. What he's getting at is participation, as he says, in the gospel. This word fellowship in its original usage back in Paul's day had a connotation much more than simply enjoying shared experiences. It could be used in the the realm of uh sharing a vision together and having skin in the game. You know what I mean by that? Of, of actually investing time and money for a particular purpose. You see the difference? Uh, 
it's not simply that we do stuff together, but we're trying to accomplish a mission together. That's what the word koinonia connoted when Paul used it. Uh, Back in the early 90s, uh, shortly after my wife and I were married, uh, we met another couple and we had a shared vision. Uh, We wanted to make it in the music business. Uh, We wanted to to form a a music group and and write songs, record songs, and change the world for Jesus uh, through this uh, music endeavor. And at the time, uh, it was very difficult to make it in music, and it, and it still is for that matter. Uh, it, was t- it was hard to get music recorded, unlike today. Uh, if you know that my son is a musician, and we're working together on producing his first album, which should be out in January. And today, you can build a home studio for a relatively little amount of money compared to what it used to be, and put out great music. Uh, someone commented yesterday, they appreciated the, the opening song to the, sh- the, uh, the study yesterday. Well, that's my son's song, his latest release called Joy. And, uh, you know, we produced that right here in our home, in our home studio. But back in the early 90s, you had to have a big, big amount of money to do a professional studio to get your stuff recorded. So uh, we didn't want to move to Nashville or LA to pursue this music career. Instead, we decided to build a a music studio, recording studio, and a music business in our town of uh, St. Louis or just outside. So uh, Krista and I, my wife and I, and this other couple, we partnered together. We formed a company called Production Network. And the goal was to build this business and a recording studio, and then record our own music and see if we could launch our music career from that. We were fully invested together. We rented a duplex together. On one side, at the, at the upper level, my wife and I lived. It was our home. On the other side, uh, our friends lived, and that was their home. And then both sides had a basement. On one side of the basement, uh, we had our business office. And it was, it was great because there were, there were um, outside uh, ex- exclusive doors, entryways, so, so you could come and go into the basement area without uh, getting into each other's living space. So we, we put the home office in one basement, and we put our laundry and ping pong table and, <laughs> and some other recreational things in the other side of the basement. So we, we had our living space, but then the, the basements were shared areas where we worked together and we, we played together. In addition to that, uh, we sold uh, sounded lighting equipment and installed them in churches and theaters and that kind of thing. And it was an all-hands-on-deck endeavor whenever we had to install these things. Uh, so some of us had full-time jobs. And then in addition, we would spend you know all night sometimes working through the night and on the weekends installing this equipment. And our money was pulled together, our time was pulled together, and our vision, our focus, our passions were committed to growing this business to achieve our long-term goals. That's what this word koinonia is getting at. You see, yeah, we did a lot of fun together. We had meals together and we watched movies together and played and went putt-putt golfing and even took trips together, my wife and I and this other couple. But that wasn't koinonia. At least it wasn't the heart of our koinonia. That was sort of a, um, a side effect, a, a result of our koinonia. But our real koinonia, our real fellowship, our commitment was this business endeavor. That's what Paul is getting at here 
in Philippians chapter 1 when he says, I give thanks with joy in view of your participation, your fellowship in the gospel. These people were committed to Paul's gospel ministry. In fact, it wasn't even Paul's gospel ministry. It was their gospel ministry as well. Paul and the Christians in Philippi were committed together toward this shared goal of seeing the gospel grow. And we know that they were, uh, they were part of it from the very beginning, as we will, we will see as we remind ourselves of that. They invested their time and their money and their prayers and their, their mindsets and their affections to see the gospel grow. And that's what brings great joy to Paul as he remembers this church at Philippi. So let me ask you, let me pause right here, just a point of application for ourselves. What is it that you think of when you think of fellowship with other believers? What, are we driven by the same gospel-centeredness? Do we find our commonality and our shared vision, the expansion of the gospel and of his kingdom? We have a lot of, a lot of great experiences with our, our Christian friends and, and church members. But is it the gospel? Are we invested and are we fellowshipping with others who are invested in the gospel? It is so easy uh, to find our, our joy in our religious tradition, our denominations, uh, shared events. And, and, you know, those things are fine, but you got to realize our traditions, our theological traditions, our denominational traditions, those aren't in the scripture. Uh, the Baptist church or the Lutheran church or the Presbyterian church, those aren't in the Bible. Uh, those, are, those were created centuries later uh, as a result of differences of theology and so on. But the thing that unites all Christians across the generations is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and building his kingdom. And our, our affections and our money need to be committed to those things. That's where true fellowship or partnership uh, derives. So we need to ask ourselves, do we find commonality primarily in things we enjoy doing together as compared to the gospel ministry? And then he says at verse 6, which we all know, Philippians 1, 6. He says, I am confident, I am persuaded of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, here's the verse I said that I may ruin for you. I don't know how many times I have heard preachers or just any Christian quote this verse to to encourage someone in their endeavor. We see it on, on coffee mugs. Uh, we see it on, uh, on wall plaques. On, on, you, know, you go to your local Christian store and you can find somewhere a, a, hang, a wall hanging thing that says, you know, he who began the good work and you will be faithful to complete it. Uh, you hear someone that has a real desire to do ministry, maybe even if it's, you know, it's a missions work or something. It, it could be really great like that. Or maybe if it's a job, or maybe they're pursuing a relationship. There's, there's all kind. I've heard people use this all, all over the place, to, to you know, really encourage, keep going, keep going. I'm sure this is going to work out because he who began a good work in you 
will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So just stick to it. It's going to work out. And we want so badly to, uh, to encourage our friends when they're down. You know, they set off on this endeavor or they have this pursuit and, we, and they're coming up against some obstacles. Uh, it's getting a hard thing. Doors don't seem to be opening. And we want them to, to feel good. And so we quote Philippians 1, 6 and say, well, the Lord began this and he's going to complete it. The problem is that is not a promise that the word of God is making here. God is not promising to take everything that you and I start and finish it the way we want it to be finished. I just told you about this vision, this shared vision that my wife and I had with this other couple, and we were convinced God is in this, and it's going to be great, and our motives were pure. We we wanted to build the kingdom of God. We didn't want to be famous and, and rich and, and just making the music business because you know we wanted to, all of our glory. We, are, we were principled in this. We wanted to make a difference for Christ, and we wanted to write great music and great songs and, and edify the church and, and evangelize and use our, our platform to bring people to Christ, uh, all of those things. And we sort of had in our mind, God has begun this great work, and he's going to finish it. Well, I haven't seen those friends in, uh, I don't know, 25 years plus. Uh, we're no longer working together in that business. Uh, I won't get into the circumstances now, but God uh, made it pretty obvious that things were changing and, and we were moving in different directions. You know, we have this uh, proverbial saying, all good things come to an end. How many great endeavors have we started? Uh, churches. I've been part of thriving churches that just seems like God is blessing and it. this church is going to last for a long time. It's going to last beyond me. And then unexplainably, uh, things change and, uh, and it doesn't keep going. Why is that? Well, God has not promised to complete every work that we set out to do, even if it's a church, even if it's a missions uh, pursuit. No, that's not what he's getting at. What he's saying is, I am confident because I have seen that God has started this thing. Remember this church. It started in Philippi with this woman named Lydia. She was a wealthy business owner. And the Lord opened her heart to receive the gospel. And immediately her response was, how do I help? I have money. I have a home. If you count me worthy, she said, then come stay in my home and let me invest in your ministry. Well, that made an impact on Paul. And then, of course, the Philippian jailer. He was trying to kill himself because he knew that he was going to be executed after the earthquake, thinking the prisoners had escaped. And Paul says, no, don't hurt yourself. He preached the gospel to the jailer. The jailer invited Paul and Silas to his home, and his whole household came to faith in Jesus. And now this jailer and his whole household uh, were really the, the foundation, along with Lydia, this church in Philippi. And since that time, they had continued to give money. We're going to see this later in Philippians. Continued to give money to the gospel ministry of Paul. And they prayed for the gospel ministry of Paul. And they were bearing fruit, and they were preaching the gospel to others in Philippi. 
And that work was growing. And Paul hears all of this. He sees all of this. He looks at how God is growing the kingdom there in Philippi. And these people are giving sacrificially. And they are uh, they're, they're proclaiming the truth and building other believers up in Philippi. And they're, they're, they're participating with their money, their time, their prayers, all of that. And Paul sees all of that and he says, I'm persuaded. Now, this is not a, this is not a, um, a statement of prophecy that he can see in the future. That's, that's not what he's saying here. And he's not saying that God completes everything we start. He's saying, no, God began this work. It is obvious that God is bearing fruit, gospel fruit. Because if God were not doing this, the church wouldn't be growing in this way. Oh, the church can grow in numbers. Any church can grow in numbers. I've often said, I know how people work. I know what attracts people. I'm convinced I could build a church of thousands and thousands and thousands. All I have to do is tell people what they want to hear. God wants to make you rich. God wants you to be happy. God wants all of your endeavors to be prosperous. I could build a huge following with that message. Many, many people do. But Paul's not simply saying, because you're growing in number, I have this confidence. No, he's saying, it's obvious that God began this work because the Spirit of God has made you people sacrifice and give time and, and uh, give to the vision of the gospel. He says, and because of what I've seen and I've seen how the Lord has worked, I'm confident that he who began this work, this gospel work in Philippi, he will take it to the end until the day of Christ Jesus. Is the church of Philippi still in existence? I don't think that particular congregation or that church is still in existence. It did its work for its time and its gospel ministry in Philippi and Paul's gospel ministry that the Philippians were part of will have its final say on on the day of Christ, on the day of judgment, because there will be long-term eternal fruit from their work together. But it doesn't mean that church is going to last forever. And it doesn't mean everything the Philippians were doing would last forever. But this gospel ministry that Paul was part of and that they were part of, that, he says, I am confident is going to persevere. So my point is not to discourage us and think, oh, well, this may not work. No, if the Lord does begin something, then we can trust him to take it to the ends that he has, he has planned. So I want, this is a message of hope, but it's not hope in whatever we set out to do. You see the difference? Uh, What God sets out to do is lasting. But even there, he starts churches, he builds ministries, and then for reasons that we can't always explain, uh, they don't last, they don't persevere, that kind of thing. But if he began it, you can be sure he will complete it for his purposes, whatever those are. And Paul says here, it is only right for me to feel this way. It is only right for me to have joy and thank God for you and pray because I have you in my heart. Why? Just because he has these sentimental feelings? No. Because they had some shared meals together? No. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. See that? He's, he's grounding his affection and joy in their sharing with him when he's in prison. He is writing this letter from prison. We talked about that yesterday. We'll see more of that in the future. Uh, 
they sent money to him, not only for him, but for his ministry in other cities. And they prayed for him and they cared for him and they expressed concern for his being arrested because of the gospel. So they shared there and in his defense and the confirmation of the gospel, those, those other gospel ministries that I just said, they are by all of those tangible expressions, they are partakers of grace with him. So they're not just cheerleading, say, go Paul. They're not just saying, oh, we have such a a sentimental, heartfelt affection for you because you preach the gospel here. No, they say, Paul, we want your gospel ministry to succeed. So we're going to give in any way we can. And Paul sees that and he says, these people are willing to sacrificially contribute to their to his ministry. And he says, that causes me to have great joy for you. I know how this works. I know this works in the local church. I know how it works here in in Crosstercon Ministries. Uh, I'm now doing this full time. And people have given uh, very sacrificially and and beyond what I could uh, ask for in in helping this ministry grow. I'm just overwhelmed that people would would see the benefit of what we're trying to do at Crosstercon and the New Covenant School of Theology, that they would give. And as I, as I receive those gifts, as the ministry does, and, and I see, wow, these people, they believe in us and they, and they, they, they want to uh, enable me to continue to te- do these Bible studies and other teaching and, and conferences, all that kind of thing. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed and my heart is touched to the core. And I do pray and I give thanks uh, for those who are, are giving to this ministry. And I can identify with what Paul is saying here when, when you realize someone is willing to take their hard-earned money and say, I want to help you. I want to partner with you in what you're doing for the cause of Christ. Uh, It can't help but humble you and fill you with joy and thanksgiving. So those of you who give, whether it's to ministries like this one or to your local church or to other Christian ministries, uh, you know, we just had uh, had Black Friday and then there's Cyber Monday. And then I just learned for the first time, I'm behind the times here. I just learned that the Tuesday after Cyber Monday is called Giving Tuesday. And people give to important uh, charities and and nonprofits uh, on that day. I didn't know that. And uh, I, I want you to know that when you give to gospel preaching ministries, uh, you are a partner. Now, we say that, you know, we, missionaries say this, oh, thanks for partnering with us. And it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, I'm not really doing anything. No, you are doing it. Uh, Paul would not have been able to do what he was doing if there weren't the Philippians giving financially and praying for him and writing notes of encouragement. He wouldn't have been able to, to persevere. He needed those things. It's, you know, building the kingdom requires those things. It's, it requires money. It, it requires people who are praying. It requires uh, attention and affection and words of encouragement. It's easy to get discouraged uh, when, you're, when you're trying to build the kingdom and, and you come against opposition. So just know that your efforts in contributing to these ministries, uh, it's important. And you are a true partner. Like I was describing earlier, our friends and I, as we partnered together to build this this company, you partnering with ministries and churches and missions organizations, you're in it together, building the kingdom. We have a shared vision, a shared goal, a shared commitment. And Paul says, "Uh, I'm right to feel this way. I have joy. I give thanks because you are in this with me. And finally says, 
God is my witness. This is a, this is a message, uh, this is a statement of oath-taking. You know, we're told, be very careful. In fact, Jesus said, don't take any oath at all. James said that. But we know that's not an exclusive command because we find Paul and others taking oaths. Here, Paul is taking an oath. It's like he's, he's swearing to God. God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, again, do you see how all of this is so gospel-centered and Christ-centered? His affection for them is not just friendship. It's, it's, it's not just that they had some meals together. They went to some, you know, some football games together or, or played some games together. No, his affection for them is in Christ Jesus. This word again, koinonia, that we talked about, that partnership, that, uh, that, that co-laboring, that, uh, it, 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 at its root, the koinos part of koinonia is common. We have fellowship when we are pursuing something because of what we hold in common with one another. Well, what is it that we have in common? There are people watching this that I've never met face-to-face. I'm thankful for the technology to be able to interact uh, in the comments and on Messenger and email and all those things here by video. Well, why do can we say we are in fellowship together? Because what we have in common is Jesus. We love Jesus. We are devoted to the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to see people all over the world come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and be built up in him to grow in their love for him and their knowledge of his word. We are partners in that. We share in that. We have him in common. And that has to be the basis of our affection. So think about your interaction with with other Christians. Uh, What is that basis? Um, it, It can't be just shared experiences. It has to be Jesus. That's where our fellowship is. Uh, Jenny Bates here says, um, I didn't know that either. I'd be curious to know what it is you didn't know. <laughs> so if you want to follow up and let me know uh, what you're talking about there. And anybody else who has a comment or question, I would, uh, I would be happy to, to receive that here. We've got a couple minutes left maybe. Um, as you're formulating those, if you have them, let me, just, let me just ask you, maybe challenge you a bit. Um, do you see your fellowship centered on Christ and the gospel. Again, it's easy to fall back on uh, tradition, on our denominations, our theological groups, those kind of things. And we, you know, as human beings, we are communal beings. We're going to have those associations and friendships. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But we always have to come back to the root, to the core, and remember and recognize that our, our commonality is Christ. I tell people, I tell our seminary students this, and uh, it can be convicting at times. If you, if you can do it with non-Christians, then what you're doing is really not fellowship. Now, that may seem a little, seem a little too strong and too hard, uh, but in light of what we're talking about here, maybe it'll, it'll make sense to you. You know, I, I can go to a coffee shop and sit and talk about uh, the Denver Broncos. I'm, I'm Colorado. I, I'm a Broncos fan, or I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And there's some of those out here in Colorado Springs. I can get together with them, and we can talk sports. I can do that with believers. I can do that with unbelievers. 
In neither case is it fellowship. Well, <laughs> oh, I guess you could say it's fellowship around sports, right? We have our affection for these teams in common. But it's not Christian fellowship unless our common thing is Christ and his gospel. Now, I'm in no way downplaying the importance of just sharing meals together and going to coffee shops or watching football together. Again, that's part of our lived Christian experience. And we should do that with Christians and not Christians alike. But just always remember our fellowship, our partnership is in the gospel and in Christ Jesus. So I say again, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for us together, our fellowship in Jesus. And I think coming around the word together daily is part of that. So thanks for joining us. Uh, go with that today. Think about it and, and have true fellowship and partnership with other believers uh, in your heart and pray for them and uh, see how you can contribute to the expansion of the gospel. And until tomorrow, God bless, grace, and peace to you.